Hello and welcome to Pairing, a podcast where we pair wine with art and pop culture. I am your host, Emma Sherjarko, and for this episode, I was thrilled to be joined by Anthony Pingera, Esther Ellis, and Brenna Galvin, aka My Witcher Book Club, to talk about, you guessed it, The Witcher Books by Andrzej Sapkowski. The four of us spent the last about a year reading these books and meeting about once a month on Zoom to discuss them. We had a great time engaging with the text this way, and we recommend that you do too. So hopefully this episode will inspire you to read these books with your friends. We also talk about the Netflix show and the video games from CD Projekt Red, but we are mostly talking about the eight books that Sapkowski wrote. There are some spoilers in here, but we tried not to spoil anything plot-wise from the books that the show has not already done. So if you're watching the show but haven't read the books yet, you should be all good. If you haven't consumed any Witcher content, I still think you'll enjoy the episode, and I don't think the spoilers will vastly detract from your experience. But if you want no spoilers at all, maybe save this one for later. I do also want to give a content warning that we discuss some of the more upsetting elements of these books, particularly violence, abuse, and sexual assault. Please take care of yourselves. Make sure to check out Anthony's new podcast, I'm a Sophisticate, and so can you, which he co-hosts with our friend Sydney, where they explore the canon by watching movies and listening to music that they're not familiar with. It's a super fun, super smart show, and will be a great way to fill the void left when we go on hiatus. Esther does a million things in audio, but make sure to check out particularly Dungeons and Daddies, the D&D podcast that she edits, and Station Blue, a fiction podcast she writes and performs in. Follow her on Twitter at Esther the Esper. Brenna is a little more elusive on the internet, but gives one of my absolute favorite plugs at the end of this episode, so definitely stick around to hear what she's up to. Thank you so much to all of our patrons, and especially to our producer-level patrons, Emma Cohen, Rena Sarame, Zoo Yorker, Rebecca Joy Henrietta White, Rachel Berman, Yara Levy, and Michael Beck, all of whom I wish would join our Witcher Book Club. If you would like to join these amazing folks and get access to all sorts of extras for as little as $1 a month, come check us out at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast. I will be scheduling our Farewell for Now live stream in the next few weeks before we go on hiatus, so come check it out. Without further ado, here is episode 96, The Witcher, with my Witcher Book Club. I am so excited to welcome to pairing my Witcher book club. <laughs> um, some of you have been here before, some of you, or one of you is new, so I'm going to introduce you first. Brenna Galvin, welcome to pairing for the very first time. Hello, this is also my first podcast ever. I'm oh a baby God. podcaster. Oh my God, welcome, welcome. Now now you've got the bug, and now you will, you, you will inevitably become a podcaster because so far now all of us are podcasters too (laughs) which speaking of welcome back anthony pingara who now has their own podcast yeah (laughs) yeah we'll probably talk about more of that later we will yes hello yes welcome back and last but not least welcome back to esther ellis hi we're we're doing it we're back we're we're doing the thing Yeah, I feel like I should put in like, you know, like 
wrestling yeah Yeah. music like (laughs) with that with that i've I've never been so excited to introduce guests on pairing before um but no we're all in the same room i know well yeah except for me i'm really sad i'm really jealous honestly um but but uh the three of you live in the same city and so you were able to uh, I'll go to Esther's and I'm super jealous, but one day soon I will make it and we'll have a little reunion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So listeners, uh, I, I, as you heard, I introduced these folks as my Witcher book club. So uh, a little over a year ago, Esther and I were chatting about doing doing a Witcher book club because we'd been chatting about Witcher content and we were like, and and Esther, you had read the books before. And yeah, I read the books before I played the game and I started talking yeah. to you about The Witcher when you were playing the game and you were yeah. all stoked about it. It was like, have you read totally. any of the books? And I was like, no. Um, and so, oh yes, and, and I do want to say, so we already did a Witcher episode. At that point, I think I had watched, it was just me and Winston, I think I had watched the first season of the show and played like a little bit of Witcher 3, but not all of Witcher 3. So now that I've had like the the world of the Witcher has like consumed my last year of my life, which I'm very happy about. And so I felt like I needed to to do it more justice on the show. And so after Esther and I talked, um, we were like, let's form a Witcher book club. And eventually these four people, we became the core, the core group. And so we read the First two books, which are uh, The Last Wish and Sword of Destiny, which are collections of short stories. And then we read the five book series saga and then a last prequel, which is Season of Storms. And uh, so there's a lot to cover. So we're not going to cover absolutely everything. But I wanted to start off with um, asking you, Brenna, because because you're new. This is your first uh you know, introduction to pairing. What was your like trajectory of consuming Witcher media? Because I think we had a similar experience. I might be like backwards because I started uh-huh. with the show. Yeah, me too. It was like, oh, look, your Lord of the Rings fix. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's coming in a new version. And after that, I had heard such good things about the game that I played Witcher 3. Um, I was playing it when we started reading the books. Yes. So I had a lot of meshing it all together because then I watched the prequel anime. It's been a year of The Witcher. Oh, yeah. There's that, too. Yeah. No, I think we had a similar experience because I I also watched the first season of the show. I was very skeptical about The Witcher, like, as content, but really liked the first season of the show. And then Winston convinced me to start playing video games. And so Witcher 3 was the first video game that I played. <laughs> um, and and then we got more into the into the books. Um, but so so I think we had a we had a a similar trajectory, but you did it much more condensed because I think actually we had already started the book club. We'd maybe done the first to the short story collections before you joined in. I joined I, for at least one of them. So maybe yeah, I joined the second yeah. one. You caught up quick. I, I like, remember you yeah, came you in did. and just like tore through them. I was very impressed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We were really impressed. <laughs> I had time. <laughs> there, there you go. Uh, but yeah, so I think we had sort of a similar experience. And I actually think that's not a bad way to, to experience no. Witcher content. Um, that's one of the cool things about 
about all these different pieces of media and we'll we'll focus on the books but but I think each each representation of the Witcher stories brings its own kind of unique perspective to the table and I think that's really cool and and there's seems to be a lot of um room for that. And so then Anthony, you had a slightly different experience with yeah. Witcher, right? Yeah, I did Witcher 3 first, and it took me about three years to finish the game. By the way, yeah. playing The Witcher 3 as your first video game is just an absolutely buckwild choice. <laughs> <laughs> that is such an big. intense game to yeah. be your first game. <laughs> Uh, and then when we started the book club was when I started reading, although I had read the first, oh, I'd read the two collections of short stories before the book club. And then, so I redid right. them and then read the novels for the first time. That's right. That's right. And okay. while we were doing the book club, I finished one of the two expansions for Witcher 3 and watched both seasons of the show. Which expansion? Right. Hearts of Stone is yes. the one that I finished, and I'm still working through Blood and Wine. Okay. Uh, well, okay, so the one the one thing I do want to talk about at some point is Blood and Wine because it is very appropriate for this podcast. and mm-hmm. um, uh, But we can talk about it also in the context of, of the books. Um, so then, Esther, you mentioned you had read all the books, but I want you to tell the story of how you read the books initially because it's amazing. Yeah, I, I have probably the weirdest interaction with The Witcher. My best friend, Jay Speck, shout out, uh, was a huge Witcher fan, like Witcher 1, Witcher 2. Uh, was always telling me about them because I ran a D&D campaign for him that he said was very Witcher-esque. And was mm. like, oh, you'd probably mm-hmm. like this. Um, and so when I went, I hiked the Pacific Crest Trail in 2016, which is a Mexico to Canada trail going from on the California side up through Oregon and Washington through the Sierras and then eventually the Cascades. Uh, and so I wanted, I just like downloaded some fantasy books to read because it seemed appropriate because most fantasy books are about people walking too far. And (laughs) so I picked up The Witcher and I had read the first story collection, The Last Witch, Mm -hmm. uh, which Mm -hmm. I liked a lot. But then for the other books, they weren't really out in English yet. And so I had to find like fan translations because I don't know if we've mentioned this yet, but they're Polish. It's like Poland's pride and joy. You know, they give these books to foreign dignitaries and whatnot. They love these books. Uh, my my friend, another uh, D&D friend, Chris, uh, who's Polish, is just like rails about The Witcher, and he's been able to read them in the yeah. original language, which I'm jealous. Um, oh, man. So, yeah, I read through the entire, what I thought was the entire series saga, uh, which was five books. I thought it was four while hiking, and the fan translations were like, I thought good, but not until reading the official translations. I'm like, oh, these books are even be- like way better than I thought they were. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I read them doing that. And then when I got home while I was recovering, because it took like two months from recovering from walking two and a half thousand miles. Uh, oh, I believe yeah, that. I played The Witcher <laughs> 3 and loved it. And then when the show came out, uh, I loved like Xena Warrior Princess a lot when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. And it just, The Witcher, I feel like is this generation Xena. It's the exact same like type of camp and like heart and all of that. So yeah. I, yeah, I, I did books, but like I hadn't, you know, a lot of the books just worn out in English when I was reading them. So like this, the second short, short story collection, that was the first time I'd read that. And then the last mm-hmm. book we read, which takes place during those short story collections, I hadn't read yet because it wasn't out. Right. Cool. So we all had very like 
different experiences getting into The Witcher. And I think we but we all really appreciated the uniqueness, the weirdness of these books and like Sapkowski and then in the show as well. They've really been playing with like storytelling devices, which I think, you know, I had sort of a love-hate relationship with Sapkowski's like different narrative framing devices, which we can get into. We're all nodding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can't see it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there is agreement. We are in agreement. Why don't I, since we just mentioned it, I thought a fun way to start off would be, because I don't think I talked about this with you, with y'all in any of our book club meetings, um, but I thought it would be fun to talk about the wine in The Witcher, because mm. a lot of it is based on or references to wine in real life, wine that exists in real life. But it's weird. It's like <laughs> in, in, in true Sapkowski fashion, it's like the choices he makes are very random. Yeah. So get, get um, that I thought Esty Esty. Yeah, the Est Est. So, so let's, yeah, let's start with that because I was like, you get Est Est in the game and you get it, you get it in the books, referenced in the books a little bit. And I was like, Est Est, that's, that sounds sort of familiar. So I, but, but that was one that I had to kind of dig for. And it, I remembered that there is a technic technically a wine, I think it's a region, or maybe it's a style of wine from this region, which is around Lazio in Italy, which is around Rome, um, that is called Est, 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 with an uh, increasing number of exclamation points after each uh, Est. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> and, and it's one of the weirdest things. So, but I, so I remember, I think I've sold it once or twice or seen it around, but I was like, I don't really remember anything about this wine. So I looked it up and apparently the reason why this wine is called Est, 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 it's, um, it's probably apocryphal, but back in the 13th century, I want to say somewhere around there, there was like a bishop who was traveling to see the Pope in Rome and he sent a like messenger to to go scope out where all the good wine was um, on on the way. And uh, the messenger wrote Est on the door of like taverns that had good wine. And supposedly in this one spot, which is I think more specifically called, was it called? Oh yeah, Est, Est, Est di Monte Fiascone. He wrote Est, Est, Est on the, on the wall there. And I like this story because I feel like that messenger, we would get a chapter from their perspective in the, the Witcher books and like have no idea why we were getting their perspective until the very end of the chapter or maybe a few chapters later because that's that's like classic Sapkowski mm -hmm. um, you will especially in the first couple novels you'll get chapters from the perspective of random people who usually die at the end of the chapter um, <laughs> and it becomes eventually it will become clear why you got their perspective but for a while you're like why am I reading this? Where's Siri? Where's often Geralt? It, often it pops up right after it leaves a cliffhanger with a character you care about. So you're like, now we're following this postal guy? Is this a character now? Oh, nope, you're dead. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. And then um, like 
Geralt would walk into something and you'd see SSS next to it just to know that they're connected. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Mm -hmm. So I appreciate that. I I have no idea. A lot of the wine that that Sapkowski references is Italian is Italian wine and is particularly Italian white wine, Hmm. um, which is interesting because, you know, most of the wine stuff we get is in Toussaint in uh, in both the books and the show, and Toussaint is very coded France, like it's supposed yeah. to be. It, like, like you would think it would be like Bordeaux or something. And he does reference Bordeaux at one point, at least. Um, mm-hmm. There's in in uh, the Lady of the Lake, Geralt is looking for the Pomerol Vineyard, which Pomerol is one of the crews of Bordeaux. Um, mm. So. So that is a reference to that. But otherwise, but there's not a ton of French wine references. Another big one that he mentions is uh, Vermentino. I forget if Vermentino is actually in the books, but it's definitely in in the games. Um, there's the Vermentino Vineyard. But Vermentino is, a, is an Italian white grape. And um, my colleagues and I at my last job fondly referred to it as chugging wine. Um, it's... <laughs> It's delicious, but it's like very, very much like chugging wine. Like that's a wine that Dandelion would drink. Like he'd, he'd go and he'd just be like, "There's my my uh, bottle of Vermentino at this, at uh, you know, at any given tavern." What yeah. makes a wine chugging wine? Um. So what I would say is like it's it's really yummy. It's dry, but it's fruity. And so, and it's not super complex, so it's like you just kind of want to keep drinking it. I mm. I think is yeah. My is... my experience with that kind, I was on uh, one of the islands in the Mediterranean when I was uh, helping some Italians I knew write a movie for a Netflix thingy, um, and they had. We'll have like, to tell that story later. That's a di- <laughs> yeah. That's a whole different story. Um, but when we got there, they're like, oh yeah, there's this guy who makes white wine, and he, you just go and you pick up a giant jug of it. Yeah. And then when it's empty, you just go drop it off and the next morning he's refilled it and just like leaves yeah. it outside because this island's got maybe 200 people on it. Like there's no crime. It's very like slow life. And yeah, and there wasn't a lot of like food on the island either. So you're just kind of drunk and dehydrated most of the time on some level yeah. as are most people who are like out fishing. Um, but yeah, that that not even a label on that wine, just filling up a big old jug. For sure, for sure. And I would bet that they would do that at certain Italian wineries with Vermentino. Because Vermentino is another one that's like found all over Italy. Mm-hmm. It's not from one specific spot. You'll find it in northern Italy, central Italy, uh, Sardinia. Um, so it's 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 all over. The last one I wanted to mention was Ervaluce. I think he calls it Ervaluce, or maybe they pronounce it Ervalus in the games and or the books. But Ervaluce is another Italian white grape. I can't remember anything specifically about it. I think it's usually used as a blending grape. So it's so it's like really random. Like the the wines that he picked, it's not like they're the great wines of Italy, but they're they're like really kind of spe- specific sort of obscure references to Italian white wine. I don't know if that's like cuz that's what they get in Poland or I don't or I, if it's I like- don't know. This is what Geralt would encounter at a tavern. Like, they're not going to yeah. have a beautiful wine cellar and 
people passing by through your tavern probably do not have the taste to be like, ugh, this trash chugging wine Vermentino, which <laughs> yeah. sounds delightful. And because like yes. you might be drinking ale or wine also to not dehydrate yourself, to hydrate yourself yeah. is the correct yeah. word. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like to, to de-dehydrate yourself. Yeah. Yeah. To yeah. not <laughs> dehydrate yourself. Um you know, like an easy drinking wine, one that doesn't have a ton of bite, that it's light, it doesn't drag you down, would be like a traveler's wine. Definitely. Definitely. I, that makes total sense to me. I think I think that Est Est, the funny part is, I think they reference that Est Est is supposed to be one of like the more expensive wines in yeah. the world of The Witcher. It's but the good if stuff. It's based, yeah, it's the good stuff. But if it's based on Est Est Est, the Est 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 stuff is like, not that at all. <laughs> it's, it's hard to it's, tell with these books yeah. because they'll just reference like, oh, this person's christening. You know, it's just like, all right, so do we right. have Jesus in The Witcher? And the answer is like, kinda. Um, yeah. Yeah. For for quick, how Witcher works is like The Witcher takes yeah. place in a world that was mundane like ours and maybe even our world. And then you had this thing called the conjunction of the spheres, which they reference all the time and rarely explain, where a bunch yeah. <laughs> of other worlds and dimensions all like shared a space for a while and leaked out a bunch of magic and elves and monsters and whatnot. Um, yeah. And then that's the Witcher world. And then it stopped. And that's the Witcher world. Yeah. What, weren't we one of the travelers? Wasn't it like it was an elf world and or maybe, the humans maybe, came out of one of yeah, the conjunctions? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Yeah, yeah. Because that, then that's the elves the talk idea. about like, oh, well, you know, the humans took this land from us, but then the dwarves are like, yeah, but the elves took the land from the dwarves and come to think of it, we took the land from the gnomes. So like, you know, yeah. who can say? It's a, it's a great, you know, continual uh, cycle of... Colonialism? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, not great. But but one of the cool things about The Witcher, I would say, I mean, he's not perfect all the time, but Sapkowski's pretty aware and and fairly woke for an old Polish white man. Um, and like rarely are his worldviews, his morals, his politics black and white. And particularly for a 90s fantasy writer. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing we we noticed and talked about a bunch while reading the books, which maybe we can talk about a little bit as we go through. But I've been talking enough. So I want to ask you all some questions and to kind of to kind of structure this. I'm, I'm going to ask you a a fairly uh, mundane but probably hard question. If you had to pick a favorite part of these books. So it could be one of the short stories. It could be one of the novels. It could be a part of one of the novels. Um, what would you say was your favorite part? It's okay if you have more than one. Oh, I definitely have more than one. So, but I need to think now. Yeah, yeah. I'll give you. Yeah. I'll give you a second. I'll give you a second to think. I, I can jump in. All right. Uh, that I I loved the second short story collection. Like Me I said, I I'd read that the first time with this group. And if you're looking to get into The Witcher, you can just read The Last Wish. And is it Sword of Destiny or is that yeah yeah, yeah. Sword of Destiny? Just yeah. you can just read Last Wish and uh, Sword of Destiny. None of the stories in them are terribly long. Yeah, and it will give you like a complete package of Witcher. Um, which which I recommend. But during the a lot of them are based on you're kind of like the same. 
uh, fairy tales that Disney worked off of for their movies. So the Little Mermaid one mm-hmm. finds yes. Witcher uh, finds Geralt like hanging out with Dandelion, recently rejected by Yennefer because they're just constantly rejecting each other because yep. these books take place over decades. So they yeah. just have this on again, off again that's really intense, yeah. and just the way that like. Geralt is just your recently single friend who like needed something to do so he's tagging along in a place he doesn't really belong and a girl starts kind of talking to him and he kind of starts talking to her and like you know just that whole vibe of Dandelion being like no Geralt come on we're doing this now we're doing that like I love it that 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 was to me like showed a real strength of the development because something I liked about the Witcher getting in is you're coming on all these characters when they're kind of like old and past their prime. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, like that's something the first, very first Witcher book talks about all the time is like, yeah. most of the Witchers are gone and a lot of the monsters are dead too. Like the better yeah. you do your job, the less of your job there is to do. Right. Um, you're, you're a dying breed. And that's where we start. And especially by the time you get to Witcher 3, it's like these people have had all of their stories and yet they're still here. And that just felt like a nice mix of like, Cool, this guy's 90, but he's also just like being this moody person. Yeah. And like the background plot was fun, but that that stands out to me among many good moments. That one was one of my favorites too. I think that story is called um, A Little Sacrifice. And yeah, and what what was Dandelion's cousin name? I love her. Oh, oh her name is, she's got a nickname, which is Little I. Uh, this is what Google is for. Yeah, like, exactly. I'm, Goog- I'm Googling cousin. it. This was uh, in Sword of Destiny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on, Wiki. Come on. The The mermaid's name is Shinaz. She's great, too. I love her. Essie. Essie Davin Essie. is, is yeah. the um, is the name of... I'm not sure if she's actually Dandelion's cousin, but he f- feels he very... Like, like- yeah. He, she's one of the few women that Dandelion's not trying to get with. Yeah. And and, mm-hmm. uh, and won't. Like, he's, he's like little sister vibes. And yeah, then they definitely. do the dick move at the end. They're like, by the way, she died of the plague. Like, yeah. It's, X amount of years later. It's one of those, it's one of those short stories. I, I agree. It's one of my favorites because you get like a lot of, like, you get some really good Dandelion Geralt content, which is a big part of all the Witcher books. Dandelion is a, a really great foil and that's Yaskier. If you've only seen the show, it's the Yaskier character. Um, I'm not sure why they decided not to call him Dandelion in the show. I, I have this notion that Yaskier is Polish for Dandelion, but I don't know if it's, that's true. That, somebody told me that. So I also haven't double checked. This it. is this is a fun fact. Um so Yaskier is the Polish name. You know, when if you're reading the book in Polish, that's his name. But Yaskier actually translates to buttercup. Um, but they thought that was too, too effeminate. Uh, (laughs) and also kind of princess bridey, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that might be, that might be different associations of of English. Yeah. But so Mm -hmm. they, so they compromised, I think with dandelion. Buttercup's too pretty for him. Like dandelion. Yeah. You want him to be a flowery weed. Yeah. Dandelion suits him perfectly. But yeah, so this story, it 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 starts out very fun and, you know, and, and Geralt's like helping negotiate a marriage between this duke and a mermaid. And uh, it's, it's like very fun. Um, and then by the end of the story, it like breaks your heart. And I think that's very, I think it's one of the like single examples of, of Sapkowski's writing, like being really good and 
Um, Because he's got his moments. He really does. Yeah. I mean, I think he's a good writer. And I also think David French is a good translator. Yeah, absolutely. Equally helpful. Yes, as mentioned. Yeah, um, the translations were night and day. Like, it's a really fun story with good characters when it's not translated well. But you get, like, the poetry and the little, like, subtle nuances that don't come through on a fan translation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there was only one time when we were reading all of the books where we were like, did the translator make a mistake here? Yeah. And we had to look it up and they had, but that was the only Yeah, time. it was like it was one age. time. Yeah, it was something about series it was age. Series age. Yeah, it was series yeah. age. She was like when she was on Skellige. Because when you're reading these books, I highly recommend reading these books with a book club because there were Absolutely. so many mm-hmm. times when we were like, but wait, what is that? When did that happen? Who is that? Uh, where is that? That's the biggest question reading these books because he does the it. books make you work. Yeah. They make you work for yeah. it. They do. Yeah, they, they don't hold your hand. Like yeah. they're not they're not dense like a lot of fantasy novels. They don't ask a lot of you, but if you want to get like the rich elements of it, you have to put those pieces together yourself, which makes it satisfying. Um Absolutely. but also yeah, it's super helpful to be like, wait, was that was that that character? And someone's like, yeah, absolutely. That's a, you're like, okay, thank God. Because yeah. you'll have people who meet characters you like who don't know their characters you like, and that character's going by a different name right then. Exactly. Yeah, most most characters have their name and a nickname, and they're used interchangeably. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, and I think that's a very Eastern European thing too. I mean, if you because if, if you read like Russian novels, everybody's got five different names. Well, yeah. And- they have like their full name, their patronym, their yeah. cutesy name for people who are familiar with them. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and the other thing, th- one thing you just said, like about these books not holding your hand. One thing I especially liked about the first season of the show is that the first season of the show also does not hold your hand. It guides you. All. It guides you. Yeah. And some people didn't like that, I think. Um, I think that's fair in that like. Because even if you read the books, they're not that just cut up and like put together. Like once the the season one is like a piece. It's a brilliant piece of uh, structure if you've already seen season one. Yeah. Because um, I remember watching the first couple episodes and I had some roommates around. They're like, I have no idea what's going on. I'm like, I don't know who the show is for except for yeah. me. Yeah. And yeah. like five <laughs> other people. Like I know what's going and on. And yeah. even... <laughs> and it wasn't until the second watch that we did with the book club that I even realized like... Oh, the book ex- or the show is explaining its structure within the show, but yeah. you want to have subtitles and you need to know who these characters are. It'll be like, oh, here's Full Test when he's old, and here's Full Test as a kid. Yeah, that now tells you that there's like X amount of years between, but like you're not necessarily keeping up with that, especially when they have like a lot of under their breath like references. Like, I highly recommend watching the show with subtitles. I didn't do that the first time, and I got way more out of it the second time. Yeah. Yeah, I I wasn't confused when I watched the first season. I had I had no other references to the media. I understood yeah. that there were things going over my head, but I also had that when I watched like Game of Thrones, and I would have yeah. to like turn to a friend and be like, "This yeah. dude with a beard, which one he?" <laughs> yeah, 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 uh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And so I think I was yeah. ready to just like I let go of trying to understand everything. And the the first yes. version of the first season I watched I still really liked you have this adventure story you know and it's a story about three characters coming together and when you really step back and you say I'm just gonna like enjoy the ride and wait for that structure you have a fun time and then when I rewatched it I was able to layer on more and then you read the books because you're a nerd and you Mm -hmm. want more you layer on more and then you play the games you're something I understand some of the lands yeah 
Yeah. It, it really <laughs> no, it really is. I think that's a beautiful way to to explain it actually. Um because that was my experience too because I watched the first season of the show with no context and I also really like it when I don't understand stuff and like have to figure stuff out. Um, and I understand that some people don't love that. But I think if you go, if you haven't watched the show, if you go into it knowing, at least for the first few episodes, you're not going to be entirely sure what's going on, but you're going to meet these compelling characters um, and and start getting their stories and eventually it will start to make sense. Um, then if you can just kind of let go and just enjoy the ride, I think that's a great, a great piece of advice. And I, th- I think that's yeah. where the like thematically um, or spiritually like appropriate adaptations in that the books that like we're talking about the books of like, oh, read it with the book club. You could turn your brain off, read all the Witcher books and have a great time. You're not going to yeah. pick up the subtlety, but the story is good. The characters are fun. It's just the digger, the, the deeper you want to dig, there's it keeps going. Yeah. You can just keep going with it. And the show's kind of similar in that you can just watch the show, enjoy it, which is kind of what I did the first time before I was putting pieces together. But then when you go back, you're like, oh, they'll just like slip, you know, a reference to Toussaint, which under mm-hmm. this context, you're like, oh, wait, this is setting things up for the future. This is very smart. It's it's one of those things uh, where you can struggle as a writer of like, it's fun to do really smart things, but you want to make sure your audience is following it as well. Um, And I think Witcher does a good job of giving it has something for everybody. Like if you're just reading it or watching it as like a trash, you know, background show, you'll get a lot out of it. But then if you want to read a bunch of books with a book club over a year and record a podcast about it and then rewatch it, (laughs) it's going to be like a whole other experience. Totally. Yeah. And the geopolitics of it can be kind of complex. Very. Like there are so many petty kingdoms in play at any time. And so what I wound up telling uh, my wife Ari when we were watching it was I was like, just think about it as Nilfgaard versus not Nilfgaard. Yes. And then later, fold in Redania. Yeah. yeah. And I, that's my advice for anyone who's reading the books or watching the show is like, there's going to be a lot of names of kingdoms thrown at you. There are no maps yep. in any of the books. Yep. You're not going to know where anything is. Yep. Just know Nilfgaard versus not Nilfgaard. You can put in more layers later. I think that doesn't matter if you're in Cadewind, Tamaria, anything like that. Yeah. I think it's that's all the north. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's all it's the north. It's yeah. north. It's the East Coast United States versus a bigger thing that's coming for all of them. Yeah. Texas. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Yeah, I think that's a really another really great piece of advice, Anthony, in terms of approaching. And I think that's one thing the show has done a good job of is kind of because the first season of the show, they're like, there's Nilfgaard and Sintra. And we're not really going to worry about, I mean, we get, we go to Tamaria a little bit, but we're not really worried about it. And then starting in the second show, they start bringing in Redania. And I bet in the next season, they will bring in like Cadewen. Seems like Rivia, they're setting up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, That's a smart way of doing it, of doling it out. Because, man, book one of the series saga, you just get these chapters of like the king councils and you're like, there's so many leaders and there are all their mages and there are these randos. And like, even when I came back, this is my second time reading the books after consuming all the other Witcher media. And I'm like, I recognize three of these names. And by the end, I'm like, cool, I recognize five of these names. There yeah. were still 10 names. Yeah. No, absolutely. The magic of those passages to me is again, like, do I need to know who belongs to which magical land? No. What I'm yeah. experiencing as I'm reading is an interesting, complex conversation about wartime politics yeah. and the different ways people want to play it and what they want to do and like that was the pleasure of it for me it was really like 
when he lets smart people sit in a room and discuss things. Yeah. Or when Geralt gets to go bar back and forth with someone intellectually. Yeah. Which is not usually a trait you see for like the swordsman. Like, yeah. Like the, the buff old swordsman. Like he's very like, because he's old, he's very learned and read and and knows yeah. Latin uh, and can yeah. and can fling it back in someone's face who's ready to be like... You're a himbo, which he also is. He also uh, is that. You can be both. <laughs> you can be you can be intelligent and be a himbo at the same time. Exactly. <laughs> but that's like the magic of those passages for me is like being able to engage. He engages a lot with ideas, and yeah. he, mm-hmm. he gives those ideas to smart people to debate yeah. and space to debate them. And those passages are like some of the most interesting to me to read, even if they weren't my favorite because I was slogging through like which country whose yeah. Mave is where and <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, the de- the details usually if you, you find something getting too complicated in The Witcher, the complexity is not important. It's the vibe. It's yeah. like what 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 what's the feel of this? What's the bigger thing being discussed? But then we're nerds, and so then we want to dig out, you know, the maps and start yeah. tracking. Like, eventually, there's a, it's like Song of Ice and Fire maps or something where they just have a yeah. bunch of fantasy maps, mm-hmm. like Google Maps. And we got to the point where we just started tracking movements. Yeah, we pulled, um, we, we would all be looking at the map and be like, okay, that's where that is. And that that's where that town is. Okay, so that's where Siri is now. And that's where Geralt is. And that's where Yennefer is. And it was it was fun. Yeah, yeah, because uh, as the series goes on, they start portaling across the continent more and more, and yeah. so it becomes like more and more important to know, just like even generally, where are they? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. You know, there were points where we were like, "Wait, is this character in Nilfgaard?" And we yeah. pulled up a map, and we we're like, "Oh my god, they're like a thousand miles past the Nilfgaard border, yeah. and like deep Nilfgaard." <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, okay, I want to get to. I want to hear from. E- Anthony and Brenna, I want to hear from you you all about what you think your favorite your favorite moment might be. But since we were just talking about him, let's give a wine pairing to our our boy Geralt of Rivia. Oh yeah. I'm I'm on the edge of my seat. I know, mm-hmm. I know. It's so much pressure. I, I know you have something good. Well, I feel good about this. I feel good about this one. Um and the the wine or grape that I think I think encapsulates Geralt's personality is Cabernet Franc. Um, because Cabernet Franc is one of my absolute favorites, but it can be it can be very different and it can be very like it can surprise you depending on where it's from. And, you know, so talking about the fact that like, yeah, for at least for the short stories, for the most part, we see just kind of this himbo like chasing after Yennefer, fighting monsters not a whole lot of deep interior life, but as as the story goes on, maybe maybe I'm making that up. We get some of his interior life, but um, but he's a he's a complex dude, and yeah. uh, and so, and that's part of what is the joy of of you know reading these books. I mean, they're not all from his perspective, but um, so Cabernet Franc is best known from from France, from a region specifically from. I mean, it's one of the grapes of Bordeaux, um, but it's also known on its own from a region called Chinon in the Loire Valley. And those grapes or those wines are known for being super like rough, like like tree bark is sometimes a, a tasting note for Chinon, like really rough, gruff, sometimes really hard to approach wines. But then you'll find Cabernet Francs from elsewhere in the world, or even some from there as well, that have just really beautiful, like 
red fruit to them and usually still pretty earthy um but but they can be a lot kind of friendlier um is how i would describe them uh much friendlier wines not that Geralt is like super friendly but deep down he's a big softy um oh, yeah. so <laughs> grumpy a softy yeah exactly um and so and so i feel like that's a really good one for Geralt because you start out with that kind of rough gruff like you think you think that's all there is going on to him but then you kind of peel back the layers and he's actually got a very a very uh, fruity soul. <laughs> yeah, if I remember correctly, the first book opens, and for context, like the first books, like their story collections were like you could tell earlier ones were taken from pulp magazines. Yes, and then definitely. Uh, the author kind of like went his own way with it. But if I remember, it kind of has that like Conan the Barbarian like hooking up with a monster. Uh, yeah. which is also like a berserk thing. There's like a number of like dark fantasies that just seem to start with that. And yeah. by the last book, which takes place during those, you know, he's arguing his uh, case with a, a bunk-like law kingdom Yeah, because he's thoroughly uh, versed in, in law degrees because he's 90 years old and he's gone to a lot of colleges to study monsters yeah. and then clearly just like made friends with professors and like hung out with them. I love it. Um, it, it it's a fun jump. like, And it's all yeah. there the whole time, but you don't expect that going into that first story. Yeah, I would say also uh, like not not big spoilers because this is literally the first thing in the first book of short stories, but it starts out like the framing device of the first book of short stories is Geralt having sex with uh, some priestess somewhere. And so I, I, I tried to listen to the books on audiobook and that was the first thing that happened this was a long time ago. And when that was the first thing that happened, I was like, nah, I don't need this. Um, but if you get past that, then then you'll start to appreciate the framing device and uh, and what's going on in there. Um, start, start realizing that Geralt's the actual sex object in this world. Yeah. Everyone wants to hook up with witchers because yeah. they're 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 sterile. They can't inherit diseases. Uh, and they're also just like old and grumpy. Yeah, it's a it's a it's an interesting. Um, I think in, uh, oh my gosh, what's her name? The YouTuber Curio in the Curio. Oh, Sophie. Yeah, Sophie. Um, if you if you want to get a little a little deep dive into into kind of some of the theories around viewing the witchers kind of as sex workers. Um, there's some really interesting stuff there. Uh, we could we could dive into that, but I don't think we have enough time. Um, <laughs> so that's a whole other can we, of worms. That, that's yeah, a we, we could whole talk about other... this for a good fifty hours. Yeah, sure. yeah. I yeah. mean, I mean, I did want to shout out a good friend of mine's Witcher podcast, um, Breakfast in Beauclair, uh, oh, yeah. created by Alyssa Esteban. She's amazing, um, and she does do like you know hour to two hour episodes about like one chapter in the book. So to give you context, we're going to try to cover broad strokes here. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. So speaking of Anthony, have you thought of maybe what your favorite part of these books was? Yeah. Don't, don't steal mine, please. It's okay, okay. if they're I'll, the same. I'll try. I'll try. You it's, can combine them. Yeah, yeah it's okay if they're so, the same. Uh, yeah, I think mine is probably... Uh, generally, anything involving Regis, 
But yes. specifically, the discussion of Regis's journey to sobriety, I thought was one mm. of the most clever things I had seen in any world building related to those types of creatures. I don't know how much... Uh, spoilers we want to do about who Regis is and what his whole deal is. I think we can. But if you could can. safely say Regis is a vampire. Yeah, we'll just... I, yeah, I think we can because it's it's not too much of a big reveal. It'd be like saying book. Dandelion's a bard. That's true, that's yeah. true. They do they do uh, let that cat out of the bag pretty early and then there's four more books. Yeah. Um, but in the Witcher world, what I love is that uh, vampires don't need to drink blood to survive. It's only like alcohol to them. Yeah. And so Regis reveals that he was basically a vampiric alcoholic. Yes. And he would drink too much blood. He would get absolutely wasted. And then he would go on a rampage. Um, and he describes his lowest point as getting his head cut off and buried in a <laughs> hole. And he says he had a lot of time to think and reflect. Yeah. And once yeah. he regenerated his body over the course of, I think, 50, like 50 years, years. Yeah. when he came out, he decided to go sober, and then uh, you do then at towards the end get to see him relapse, and it is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Well, because he he's just the philosopher of the group. He's yeah. the one. He he's the even head. Like I'm. I think they'll probably bring him in in the next season, if not either um, next season it, or the one after, depending on yeah, depending on how their... much ground they try to cover. Yeah. He's great. Fan favorite. Oh like, my god. I, I was gonna say I my. My next question was going to be, do you have a favorite character from from the books? And I think for many of us, it might be Regis. Um, yeah. He's a delight. He's an absolute delight. And just as like a vampire nerd, generally, like he may be my favorite vampire in literature, in media. It's really brilliant, I think, the way Sapkowski sub subverts like the tropes of of vamp of vampires and vampirism in uh in, you know, pop culture. And mm -hmm. and he is just he is just an utter delight. So although, you know, speaking of the fact that like it it is very much a metaphor for for sobriety um i am gonna pair a wine with him uh, i hope i hope yeah. nobody's too mad at me for that um but well regis loves wine he loves wine yeah, he, he loves does. wine he yeah. yeah 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 um so i would pair up uh, just don't pair blood with him you don't know yes blood. I, will, I will not yeah. give him oh no wait i kind of did uh, uh, <laughs> does he yeah. does he like a, a nice like you know B negative that's been drinking a lot of? No, um, Anthony Anthony knows because I've talked about this on the podcast a million times um, and devoted a whole episode to it. But um, but specifically, I'm going to give Regis Brunello di Montalcino, um, which is made from Sangiovese. It's a region in Tuscany. It's my answer to, like, I hate when people ask me what's my favorite wine because I have so many. But if I have to choose, that's the wine that I choose. Because to me, it is just the perfect balance of, like, medium to full bodied like delicious fruit to it but also you get some cool like herbal and earthy notes to it, it and those are they're just like the most satisfying enjoyable wines to me um they may not be to absolutely everyone but they are my favorites and i like i feel like reading reading the chapters with regis especially in baptism of fire where we where we meet him are just so satisfying and and so i relate that to drinking a really nice glass of brunello di montalcino mm -hmm. speaking of uh if i had to pick a favorite book of of the whole saga 
Um, I agree. Like, I love the short story, especially the second book of short stories, sort of destiny, like as a as a short story collection and and those stories individually. I love those as well. Um, But if I had to pick one of the novels, I think Baptism of Fire is my favorite because it's basically Fellowship of the Ring um, (laughs) that happens in the middle of the series. But it's like, let's gather the 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 fellowship or the Hansa and um and you just get a really fun mix of characters. It's also the most cohesive novel, I would say. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about that when we were reading it because the first two novels are like all over the place. And, you know, as we talked about, like Blood of Elves, like doesn't really end. Um, <laughs> it's yeah. the, the, where it <laughs> right, ends. To be continued. Yeah. Not even a cliffhanger, just a yeah, to be continued. It, it, yeah, you it's get not... Dear Friends and then... Yeah, you get Dear <laughs> Friend and you get like a chapter of Yennefer and Siri together, but like nothing happens. So I understand why they changed a lot for the show because it wouldn't be climactic at all if they did it as it was in the book. But um, so so yeah, so Baptism of Fire is would be my favorite book if I had to pick. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Yeah. Because it's also the book where they introduce Regis. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) What's not to love? What's not to love? Exactly. And Milva, who might be- Milva's great. Absolute icon. I think Milva's my favorite character. Yeah. A non-Regis character. Yeah. (laughs) Milva's a badass archer. Yeah. Who, you know, she's, yeah, she's great. Who also, like, you know- if you've played if you played the games, if you had played Blood and Wine, like you're aware of Regis because he's in that. Um, mm-hmm. But Milva was a total surprise to me reading the books. Like I had no idea that she was coming, um, and because she hadn't been, I don't think she's in the games. I don't think she's referenced in the games at all. And maybe she's referenced, but it would have gone over my head. I'm excited to play the games again now, having read the books. Same. Yeah, because you also have like Angoulême, like a lot yeah. of the crew you don't necessarily encounter um, in the games. Yeah. So yeah, Milva Milva's a total delight. What did I, I, I think I paired something with her. Ooh, I was torn. I was torn for Milva. I was like, either she's like Sancerre, like a French Sauvignon Blanc, like a really crisp, delicious white wine, or like a Mencia, uh, or, or Mencia, if you don't want to do the the Spanish accent, which is a Spanish red wine, actually not too dissimilar from Cabernet Franc. It's got some similarities with that. I would say it has less tannin to it, but I love Mencias and it's got, it's got some, it's got some earthiness and weirdness to it. Um, and it's, that sounds right. She like, yeah, she's very down with sleeping in the dirt. Yeah. yeah. She, yeah, actually. Okay. She's I feel good about forest. that. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So Brenna, Milva is your favorite non-Regis character. I like. I think that we we can differentiate, you know, characters by Regis yeah. and non-Regis. Um, but <laughs> those are the two circles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> but do you have a favorite, you know, part of of the saga, or or the? I mean, short there stories? are lots of parts that yeah. I that I really do like. Um, in just thinking of like one to highlight that's that's different than has been before. Thank you for not taking the one I was thinking of, Anthony. Yeah, because then I would have panicked. Uh, yeah. Is I actually do love, and I it's I think it's the end of Blood and Elves where it is Siri and Yennefer. Yeah, uh, getting to meet. They're at the Temple of Melitelli, and like Yennefer starts being the strict teacher mistress that she, you know, from the show kind of yeah. had. Um, yeah, and you just see like very quickly. Sepkowski's able to 
create just such a deep relationship to them that like within like and like time is passing, which is like hard to do in like writing, just like vignette montage, you know, time passing, especially of a relationship because it can feel fast. It can feel forced. But like, I don't know, the intensity of that sequence and then at the end, because it's, you know, right before Siri sort of gets ripped away, it's like it is important to drive you to be like, I want them back together. I want all three of them back together. It does a ton of work. And I remember just kind of like having to stop after the chapter, just being like, this is so beautiful and I love it and I love them. And, you know, it 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 really was just like a well crafted chapter that like could have could have like spanned like the the book to like get their relationship there. It was yeah. really masterful and like really tender. And I really do think he wrote Siri as like a young woman mm-hmm. really well as like a preteen yeah. where she like has her brattiness, has her worst moments, but is like really like she's young. She's lost her parents. She's alone. And she's really looking for like love and someone to take care of her. And it builds to that moment really, really well. So that's that's a highlight for me. I I totally agree and 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 thank you for mentioning that um because there's a there's a lot about that that I think is really unique and important like you said I think Sapkowski writes Siri really well and um but I also think I mean talking about favorite non-regis character Yennefer yeah, yeah. Yennefer she's oh, yeah. she's like I love her I love her and and yeah. I think she's one of the more compelling, interesting, surprising characters, especially a a female, a cis female character written by a cis male writer that I that I have experienced. Yeah, I just love her. I just love her. She's all over the place. But this is that moment is kind of the first time for Yennefer as well that we see her where we get to see some real tenderness from her. Um, oh, yeah. And, and and he writes it in a way where she's still, like, calling her an ugly duck. Like, is that is it ugly duck her name for her? Is it ugly, he, like... Yeah, it's ugly duckling or ugly goose or something like that. Yeah, yeah she's she, not she's, very nice. You know, and Siri will be like, am I pretty? She's like, no, you're ugly. I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> but then she starts saying it with tenderness, and it's like, you, it's the same line, right? This isn't a performance, but just my, you know that moment where she, like, shifts over on Siri. Yeah. No, absolutely. And and so for Yennefer, I, I, I have a pairing for her as well. And but I was trying to think I was like, as soon as I found a, a, a pairing for her, I was like, oh, no, lilac and gooseberries. What? what? <laughs> <laughs> um, so she's like some kind of but I think I bet you could make a cocktail that was like the Yennefer with with like mm. a lilac liqueur and gooseberry wine or something like I think you can you could make something uh yummy that a good a good a good mixologist could uh <laughs> could come up with something for her oh yeah um a fancy bar in LA is already on on its way oh to yeah do that. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> mm-hmm. wait hang on can we just open a a fancy witcher themed bar in yes. you know let's do it okay, yeah great no problem Okay, um, but but in terms of wine, I gave uh, Yennefer Nebbiolo, um, which is another mm. Italian grape. But um, and I talked about this in our in our last episode. I think I think it will be our will have been our last episode in terms of episode release. Um, I talk about Nebbiolo a lot, but what I love about Nebbiolo is it's like kind of this paradox where it's a it's a red wine, but it's it's lighter in body, but has really intense tannins. And so it's very surprising. It's got like 
notes of and and it uh one of the tasting notes of it is like rose petal which is not exactly uh the, the same as lilac and gooseberries but it's got like that floral quality to it but then it's got like earthiness leather um and and again those like really intense tannins so i think i think that's a good one for yennefer because she is tough but you, but as the books go on you really start to see her softness and that's something that's something that you see in the show from the outset because they actually give her a backstory in the show um in the Mm -hmm. books you you get very little about yennefer's past um and so you just kind of see her as this i mean i love it but in one of the first stories with her she brings Geralt to istred her other boyfriend and she like sleeps with Geralt at night and then sleeps with Istrid the next morning. She's got a stuffed unicorn that she likes to use for sex somehow. Like I I love all these details about her. She's but but that's kind of how you meet her and you're like, "Okay, you're like this weird kind of like dom figure maybe." Um and then and then she really like becomes much more much more complex as it goes on. The stuffed unicorn is one of my favorite weird details Mine from this too. whole story. Mine and too. I love that every version of it has that. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Video game has it. They they yeah. just brought it in the show. Yeah. And, did and they, they never bring explained it? that Did they bring it into the show yet? I've Yes, they yeah. did. Wait, when? Season two, right? Yeah, in season two. When? There's a moment where they're at uh Nineke's tepi- temple. Uh-huh. And they're like, oh, I used to have this unicorn. And Siri was like, what was the unicorn for? And then there's this really long, awkward pause. And I it was literally right it. after I had turned to my wife, who I was watching it with, and just been like, you know, uh, fun fact about Yennefer, she has a stuffed unicorn that she uses for sex. And then five <laughs> minutes later in the show, they brought up the stuffed unicorn. I missed no. it. I missed it. Oh, You got to watch it again. I'm going to have to watch it again. That's the thing. I feel like you could just <laughs> do a loop of like read the books, watch the show, play the video game, read the books, watch the show, play the video game. And it'd probably take five times over before you're consistently picking everything up. Yeah. And like a murder wall of like yarn and details of like, okay, here's, you know, which I almost right. made multiple times while reading, doing the book club. I'm like, I'm tempted to just like remove one of these big sound panels, replace <laughs> it with a map and just like get different threads for every character. It's like, where are you going? Okay, so we've kind of been we kind of been hopping all over the place, which I think is perfect for for because the books do too. Yeah, because the books yeah. do too. By the by, the end series literally hopping through a million different planes. Uh, yeah, there's th- different three dimensions, framing so. devices in the last book that all take place in different times from the future yeah. to the past, and all within themselves. So yeah. You better like the the narrative device of like someone tells someone a story and then you realize the story is only semi-true and then you see it happen, but then you hear someone else tell it afterwards and you realize that's how the history was made. And then you right. get the historians <laughs> lecturing about it, <laughs> yeah. and then you get the archaeologist a thousand years later trying to put pieces together. Like this isn't gonna be for everyone. No, no, no it is no. not. And that's yeah, we should say that too. Like we all I I think it's safe to say we all really enjoyed these books but i definitely would understand it if you didn't because they are yeah, they, I feel they like are weird if, 
if you read the first two short story collections, you're doing fine. And then if you want to read one more book, read the last book that came out, which yeah. takes place during, which has like all of my favorite Witcher elements in it when it comes to just humor and down on your luck and like all of that. And then by by then you're going to know because the five books, like the saga is really good. And part of reading the saga is you going like, why are we doing this right now? Like, yeah, I I exaggerated a little bit on some things, but not too much when I was prepping you all for the books. I'm like, by the way, like three of the books are going to just be a road trip. Um, yeah. And like, that's still, yeah, that's kind of true. And I'm I like, mean, that's and a lot I remember- of fantasy, though. A lot of fantasy is just a road trip. Yeah, but they make the way time moves in it. You don't nec- like if you're going into it, you don't necessarily know that the road trip they start in what book three is going to go for the rest of the thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then also with, um, you know, I, I talked about the Battle of Brenna. You know, we got Brenna. The here. Battle of Brenna. <laughs> it's um, the first the- time my name has ever appeared in anything ever. It made me very happy. I love but it. But then it was really horrifying. Oh, yeah, yeah. And a lot of people died and <laughs> then it made me sad. Yeah. And yeah. I didn't like, because I, that last book I read when it came out in English because I didn't know it existed. Um, and so I hadn't read the books in a while. And I was like, is it just me or is there a 300 page battle in the middle of this book that doesn't have anything to do with anything. And in reality, it it has everything to do with everything in the background and it actually does bring a lot of side characters back. Yeah. But it's not the Geralt story, right? It just... Like, the books are part of, like, the Siri Geralt story and then part of just the world building and philosophy. But it's not world building like most fantasy authors do it where they're just going to sit you down and explain things to you. You put the pieces together through a bunch yeah. of conversations and arguments and taxes and all, all of that stuff. And the Battle of Brenna is this giant battle in the last book that just kind of brings it all together. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Weird, weird books, but I, they're great, but they're weird. I also think, Oh, just that, like, I think it's important to also acknowledge that part of these books will be hard for people to read because as as much as, like, on one page, Sapkowski is talking about abortion rights for women and can seem very progressive, there's just as much stuff that were either, like, difficult, and I am, am, of course, for, like, difficult and uncomfortable things in art, but there are things that might push someone's personal boundaries and then there are yeah. one or two and I I have a I have a pretty wide range for art there are one or two that made me angry yeah. that really felt unnecessary but yeah. that's why I'm I I will double down on read it with a book club like I think yeah. part of the you know way I was able to process and enjoy these things is we talked about the parts we didn't like or that really felt kind of like uh, unnecessary violent or or mm-hmm. like kind of like not needed in kind of like a punishing way to the reader and that's important to process and if I had read it alone would I have stopped or would it have colored the rest of my reading of the book which there are parts that I really really love and so I do Mm -hmm. think like that is a difficult part of it too and in this era of like you read something and then you have like your quick hot take on Twitter. It's very easy to just be like, and it sucked because of this. And to go to like the worst emotion, like having a book club where we could talk through all of it, like highs and lows made it much easier to stomach some of those parts and hold a complex idea of like, there are parts of these books that I really, really find uncomfortable and unnecessary Mm -hmm. and difficult Mm -hmm. and painful. Yeah. Yeah. As much as there Mm -hmm. are parts that I like love, love, love and you can have both at the same time. But that's easier to do in a context where you can talk about it with people in like complexly and for a long time. Absolutely. Thank you 
Thank you for for saying that because I think that is important to note that there's there's parts that are like great and progressive and really interesting and then there's parts that are really painful and I would say most of that if it you know for general spoiler warning um, I think most of that kind of stuff happens in the last two books of the of the series saga so um, Tower of Swallows and Lady of the Lake there's a bunch of stuff in there and there's like reference uncomfortable references and stuff before that but you see some like very violent things happen in in different ways that it's unsettling it's unsettling and um, especially coming from the context of the books when they handle a lot of that stuff well then when they don't or when they're like pushing it you're just like you i know you're better than this and i feel like if you had an extra draft and we're talking to like us you probably would have not put that in the book yeah um like for for people using fantasy things right it i because Game of Thrones feels like something that that does edgy shit to do edgy shit and upset you. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like Witcher doesn't, mm-hmm. but it does go, there's times where, yeah, kind of like what Brenda's saying, where I was like, oh, you you got your point across here and it seems like you were worried you hadn't got your point across. So then you drove it like three more miles yeah. and we didn't need that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's especially because in the beginning of Tower of Swallows, he introduces a character whose like big thing is punishment and pain. Yeah. He like lives for pain. Yeah. And so when you have a character like that in your story, you're going to be constantly pushing the envelope with whatever they do. And I think you're exactly right that sometimes he was like, have I sufficiently communicated to you that this person is a very bad person? Yeah. I'm going to give you yeah. one more, one more instance. Yeah. Or like the horrors of war. Like mm-hmm. we're just gonna have like one more town where we're just gonna like see random sh- soldiers like rape and pillage just to understand like the depravity of mm-hmm. like people who are part of the army, but when they're outside of command. Like, and I'm sure a lot of that can come from like Eastern European history, world history, yeah. and like being truthful to that. But then of course there's that argument of like, but how much of that do you need to put your reader through? Yeah, right. You, you don't. You don't get quite like Ramsey Bolton's in like a Game of Thrones thing. You get a person who's way, well, and mostly I mean, because the, the guy who's way worse is like basically asexual and makes a point of it. He's just yeah. like, I'm here, to, I'm here to like stab people and get in crazy sword fights. I'm not here for any of that. Like you're gross, go away. But, but like the humiliation from him yeah, is yeah, Oh, it's off. Yeah, it's like, awful. <laughs> and that's- Yeah. I, it, I mean, he's effective as a villain for I, sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like he, I'm very curious about the casting choice there. We saw yeah. some art of him and I was just like, Ugh. and then some people under the art like, this is my favorite character. I'm like, no, what is wrong with you? He's like one of the most <laughs> memorable villains I've ever encountered. And also what is wrong with you? Yeah. Like, yeah that's yeah. a red flag if ever there was yeah, that, one. This isn't <laughs> yeah. like being like, oh, I like the Joker. Like if someone's like, my favorite character is the Joker. I'm like, I, you know, there's like 60, 70 years of Joker. I, you but Bonhart, his name's Bonhart, by the way. He'll show up. Yeah. And you're like, oh fuck, Bonhart. Yeah. When Bonhart the only shows correct up, answer is Regis for your favorite character. So yeah. if you say it's Bonhart, you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Just, yeah. Just, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Over. Yeah. Overdone it. Um, yeah. And it has. Yeah. And that that was where. Yeah. Book club's valuable because like the Definitely. series does have a point of view. Like Witcher. The like Geralt makes a point of like, oh, the first monsters are killed were men, who are trying to assault people. Like that's like. Yeah. Geralt's like thing so it's like cool this is the point of view and 
it's not as bad as a lot of fantasy books I've read, and it's also worse than it needed to be. Yeah. In in setting up an audience, I'm assuming if you're listening to this, you're you're like wondering, okay, should I read these books? It's like, even going the second time, it was not as bad as I remembered in some aspects. It was a little worse in others, just because of going through the fan translations, there wasn't the nuance, and there wasn't as strong of a point of view of like, because there's times authors do things, I'm like, do you know that this is bad? Yeah. <laughs> or do you just think this is like how war works? And in this case, it's just like, okay, I feel like you know this is bad, and but you also probably should have trusted your audience a little bit more to like click. Like, okay, yeah. we also, yeah, we're we're on the same page. Yeah. And what I would say, like, even even more than Bonhart, um, especially what bothered me more, kind of. I mean, and this is a tricky thing to handle because, like we were saying, like Sapkowski has a lot of progressive politics um, or ideas uh, in in these books, uh, particularly relating to women's choice about their bodies. Um, And he's very he's very vocally pro-choice. But as the books progress, he puts Siri specifically in so many uncomfortable positions where her body is an object uh, that is desired for one reason or another and it gets and like I get it I get what he's doing and but that was that was very much a thing especially in the last book where I was like okay I get it like I get it like everybody wants her for some reason or another and and like not to spoil what happens at the end but like the ending moment the like denouement of her of her story is very much about someone trying to uh invade her bodily autonomy in a slightly different kind of way than you might expect. But there were so many instances before leading up to that, that by then I was just like, Ugh. like, yeah. yeah. And there, there's like two that strike to mind that like added no value that you could have just whole cloth removed. Yeah. Yeah. If you were going to pursue that, that line of, uh, well, and that like, I didn't pick up on like the pro choice stuff because that's really prevalent in the second short story collection. So when I was first reading yeah. them, I'm like, Man, everyone uh, really wants to have the chosen one baby with this, yeah. you know, teenager. Every yeah. this is everyone's <laughs> like, and that that's also like by the point in the show they've kind of covered like, okay, everyone thinks a series either the chosen one are going to be the mother of the chosen one, and a lot of yeah. these places are some some of the kingdoms are like they have a thing where, for example, Nilfgaard is not racist, but they are homophobic. The Northern right. Kingdoms are not homophobic, but they're pretty damn racist. Like, he, yeah. Tends to do a lot of that. And so some of them are like, cool, Siri is going to be the chosen one. And some are like, well, surely Siri's son is going to be the chosen one. Right. And so that's a plot of a lot of people are like, oh, we need Siri. Everyone wants Siri. The kingdoms, yeah. the sorceresses, elves, you name it. They all want Siri. And they're assuming because they're like, oh, Siri has to have a kid. Yeah. And at the same time, then you get like Siri exploring her own sexuality, which yeah. I think is good. Like. Yeah. Yeah, as we've talked about, it's, it, there's complexities. Yeah, I was gonna say there's yeah. some problematic stuff with how he does that, but there's some kind of really interesting and progressive stuff about how he does it. So yeah, there's times where Siri wants to hook up. She's like, yeah, I wanna, she does. I want to see what this is about. Yeah, yeah, and there's there's well, there's one instance of a sexual assault that I actually think was handled really in a way that is not often seen, which is like. The idea that your body can enjoy the moment while you are horrified and that yeah. dissonance is really traumatic. Yeah. And that like a very hard chapter to read. And I I ultimately on that one was like, you know what? 
that's not something a lot of people talk about or show and yeah. Kent is very real. Duh, duh. And then later there's just like more and more and you're just like, okay, those yeah. had yeah. no we, lesson. Like, we, we, one, we, we, one we did was it enough. the first time. Yeah, yeah one was enough. <laughs> you did it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And exactly. I do think that it opens up some room for Sapkowski to really explore how Siri processes trauma. And mm. I think he did that really, really well. You know, there are so, yeah. I can think of so many examples, particularly in fantasy, where like something bad will happen to a young character and they just take it to this really angry, obstinate place where they're like, I was in trouble and no one helped me. And so I'm just going to fuck the world. Yeah. You know, and they're just there for books and books and books. And you see, like, pretty quickly, Siri go through all of the stages of coping with trauma and coping with the fact that, like, Geralt isn't always going to be around to save her and Yennefer isn't going to be always around to save her. And, like, she's coming to this realization that she has to be able to do things for herself and she has to be independent. She's going to be the one to decide her own future. And she does that all very naturally. And I thought yeah. that was all great. And then yeah. the Witcher 3 game, like, takes that idea. Like, if you think of all of it as, like, a canon, which it is, like, yeah. progress. Like, the Witcher 3 game, now having read the books retroactively, thinking of the game, it right. is a really great way to end her story. She's on this lone journey. She's very driven. She takes care of herself. But, like, she needs the help along the way to, like, find her potential. And yeah. it really does, yeah. like... Ca it like caps the books in like a really great way. It oh, does. The Witcher Three is the best, uh, the best ending for the books. Any, I, I know a lot of people get like their sticklers for like, well, the show is not going to be as good, or this is not going to be good. A lot of the like the character writing in The Witcher Three, a lot of it's better than the character writing in the books, and the character yeah. writing in the books is great. Like, yeah. I don't know, yeah, the the retirement. Um, plot that they eventually like give you the option of engaging with <laughs> yeah. in The Witcher 3 is so satisfying after all yes. the shit that they've been through. Yes. Is this a good segue for Blood and Wine? Yeah, to start well yeah. Anthony, you hadn't finished Blood and Wine? I haven't finished okay. Blood and Wine. Okay. I, let's um before before if we if we talk a little bit about Blood and Wine, um before we do that, I want to give a pairing to Siri because yes. these are these are really her books. Um, you yeah. know, it's, she, she's the main character. She is the main character. She's the driving. I mean, often it is told through the lens of Geralt, but it is um, it is her story that we're that we're following, um, which makes a lot of boys mad on the Internet, which is well, uh, I know like like a lot of people are <laughs> mad about the Witcher show about how like there isn't enough Henry Cavill in it. And it's like, have you? If you've you, read, there's not a yeah. lot of Geralt <laughs> in the series saga. Yeah. Also, there's plenty of Henry Cavill there's in the Witcher. There's plenty of Henry yeah. Cavill. I like the show. Like, I like him. He's in it plenty. Wait yeah. until they find yeah. out series gay in the books. <gasps> like, I think that's the other thing, too, is yeah. they're going to be like, oh, they're just trying to be progressive. Like, no, series no, it's gay in the since books. the 90s. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, so, so for Siri, I was thinking about what to pair for her, and I have... Honestly, I have a couple of ideas. Um, but the main thing I want uh, what that I thought of with her, which which um you were just talking about, Anthony, is, you know, kind of we really do get to see her grow in a way that more than any of the other characters, I would say. Um, because like you said, Esther, a lot a lot of these characters, like Geralt, Yennefer, um, they're very old. And so we're we're meeting them, even if they don't look old, but we're meeting them kind of as they they are set in their ways. Not to say they don't go on some personal growth, but Siri is a young child who goes through immense trauma, and well, we and their personal growth is all caused by Siri. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um. So 
the the wine kind of concept I was thinking about is just the concept of, you know, aging wine and the fact like and I, I was thinking of specifically Bordeaux and there, and you can think of other other wines as well. I mean, it's a it's applicable to a lot. But um, the, the reason why I thought of Bordeaux is because I've had like really young Bordeaux and they're good. They're 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 tasty. But if you taste a if you taste a, you know, two year old Bordeaux versus a five year old Bordeaux versus a 10 year old Bordeaux versus a 25 year old Bordeaux, they change and they become so much more complex and interesting as they go. And so I feel like that's kind of a good one for Siri, because, you know, when we first meet, we meet her in the short stories briefly. um, And so she's like a very young Bordeaux there. And you're like, oh, you're fun. Like. (laughs) <laughs> you're a you're a <laughs> you're a little whippersnapper. Um, and then slowly as the books progress, you get more and more. And once you especially once you start seeing things from her perspective, um, I think I think that's a good one. Um, in terms of what she would drink, though, I think she w- she would want like a really a really like zippy white wine. Um, mm, yeah. I think I feel like Zippy's like, a good word. Yeah, I think, for mm-hmm. Siri, given yeah. her whole shtick, she likes uh, immediate gratification. She does. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she sure does. So yeah, you, maybe- you got someone who's a princess who's then kingdom burned down, who then uh, you know became a witcher and then a chosen one, and just all of yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think actually Sancerre, I know I mentioned that for Milva, but I think Sancerre would be a good one for her. Nice mm. crisp mm-hmm. Sauvignon Blanc. Just oh yeah, enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. So um, we we can talk about blood and wine um, if if we want, um, or uh, we could touch on a couple other before before we do that. I want to make sure when we make sure we talk about Kahir, because um, yeah. he he is a because I remember watching the first season of the show and then reading the first few books and being like. Why is he in the first season of the show? I don't understand. Like, why is this guy a big deal? And now having read the books, I'm like, okay, I understand. Um, and I and he's he's one of the characters that like your perception of him and your probably your feelings about him will change drastically from the time you meet him to the time that the books end. It's interesting that in the um, in the show they made him like a commander of the forces of Nilfgaard, like one yeah. of the highest up people. Yeah. Um, and in the books, he's a lieutenant and a disgraced one at that. He's like yeah. very much a peon and a young and young. He's yeah. like twenty. Yeah, yeah, he's very young. He, he's a he's an up and comer, I, I think, in the books. Well, and something the show also kind of. Uh, because there's certain things that if you translate, you know, page to screen or whatnot, you're just going to give away sooner. Yeah. Like, series' primary, like, trauma and PTSD, uh, Kahir, the image of Kahir is the image of that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, to the point where Geralt's like, oh, fuck this guy. You know, I just know yeah. there's a guy with the bird helmet. Yeah. <laughs> um, and in the show, it kind of shows you more of, like, his participation because it tur- it's like Kahir's like, oh, no, it wasn't like that. I was there. Um, I wasn't doing, you know, I, I wasn't uh, trying to burn this whole place down necessarily. Right. I think I think the reason probably why they did that is similar to why they have totally changed Fringilla's character is that they wanted to give us some kind of lens into Nilfgaard um, oh, yeah. in the show because we don't really get that in the books. You you eventually you get some people from Nilfgaard, um, but not from the outset. And they also needed a season one like baddie. Yeah. 
and exactly. he was like kind of good to slot in. Yeah. Um, well, and the and the books do something that a TV show never would, which is like, you know what, Yennefer, that character you love that I also love that uh, is very important. Let's put her in two chapters. Yeah. Geralt, we don't need Geralt for the next four hundred pages. We're good. <laughs> like he like he is very he does he does not care how cool a character is. He'll only use that character when it's needed. Where in the show, you know, actors have contracts and like expectations and audience members have expectations. Yeah, and I mean, yeah, I I, I think there's I think there's a, a, a balance that they're playing with the show, both like creatively and like contractually, um, yeah. probably. So I, I I try to cut them some slack because they're you know the, it's an adaptation, hmm. and there, it's also like financially. Yeah, like yeah, they, it, yeah. They exactly. do not have Game of Thrones money. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I I I had uh we'd been in kind of a different place initially. Now that you sat on it, because I know for a few of you, you're like, oh, Kahir in the show is like a, a sociopath, and I was like, I think Kahir's just. The statesman, like, have you come around on kind of Kahir's deal? Because I feel like he's like fairly consistent with the books, except for I think I think the main thing about Kahir for me is that he just like looks like a Nazi. Um, oh, he's a very <laughs> scary actor. Yeah, he's Aryan as fuck. Yeah, though though <laughs> you should, I love. You should see him in Twin Peaks season three. Like, oh, it's just like the storyline with the shapeshifter. They made him like way cooler than he ever was in the books, yeah. and it's yeah. I just hate the trope of like. We're going to create a true villain. And now we're going to rehabilitate him because he's going to do one or two nice things. And it's like there's no real accountability there. There's no like real growth. Like I hate that sort of like quick change. And they haven't done that yet in like the show. They haven't like completely turned him like so good that we're like supposed to be like, oh, we're now teddy bear. We love you. But they went pretty far in season one more than the books because in the books, him being young, he's lower down in the command. We didn't see him do anything like particularly egregious. Is like mm-hmm. easier than when you meet him later to be like, oh, okay. Well, you I, were like caught up in some stuff, and you were stupid, and, and yeah. yeah. I, I go on the assumption is because he's like, you know, we know what position he had in the Nilfgaard army, and we have seen what Nilfgaardian soldiers do, and because I, you know, he butchers that in, and I'm like. Yeah, Nilfgaardians do that all the time. Like that's kind of their shtick. Is they'll pick places where they're like, "Cool, you're now part of Nilfgaard," and they'll have others and they just like salt the earth. And I, you know that that's a, another fun thing with like book clubs and, and Witcher is because he doesn't detail a lot of stuff. There's like a lot of reading behind the lines and interpretation. Like Kahir's, uh, he's such a funny character. <laughs> When you finally get his deal, you're just like, oh, you kid, you child. Yeah. Yeah. I think I like book conception of him better than show as of now conception. Yes. Well, and for for context, uh, where we're at in the show, he wouldn't, he's not like a character in the books yet. Like he's a scary figure. This is in the same way where Yennefer doesn't have, I mean, really none of the characters except for Siri have a backstory. Like Geralt doesn't really have a backstory in the books either. Um, yeah. But we we're a while from actually encountering Kahir as far as that goes. So similar to filling in uh Yennefer's backstory or what they're doing with Fringilla, they're giving yeah. Kahir a lot of they're showing what Kahir is doing behind the scenes. Yeah, I'm I'm really based on like what they've done with Istrid and Geralt, I'm really looking yeah. forward to this season, I'm assuming for just butting of heads of Kahir and Geralt. Yeah, I I'm 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 very much looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to to what they 
do with his character in the show, knowing what it is in the books. Yeah. Um, I Shoka did... here is not a himbo. Show like that. Show... Book here is the touch. biggest himbo. Oh ever. yeah, yeah. Like, he he's yeah. just. He's just an idiot with like who's very loyal to his emperor and very loyal to like the concept of Siri. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. Yeah, show show Kahir is a lot more uh, lethal mastermind. Um, mean, yeah. which is kind of a reversal of like Geralt's less yeah. of that in the books. It feels like with the show because with both Fringilla and Kahir, who they change their parts, it looks like they're trying to make them pivot against Nilfgaard. Um, for like specific reasons, while in the books, it's like more nebulous and complex than that. Um, it's like he's failing at his mission. He's like he's afraid to go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so for Kahir, I I wanted to give him. I thought of Sarah for him, just because for me personally, that's a grape that I have very different. I I have in my life had very different feelings about. Like there was like. A time when I was like, I hate Syrah. Um, and now I'm like, well, I like Syrahs from this place, but I don't love them from this place. Um, and I feel like that's, I also just think Syrah's a good one for Kahir because it's like dark and complex, but it can be like from some, some places, it can be quite, quite nice and quite enjoyable. And I think he would like to drink Syrah too. That's like his <laughs> flex. Yeah. I feel like if you want to do your blood and wine and tie in, given the mm-hmm. podcast. Yeah, well, I mean, I talked about it a little bit. Um, we but... can remain pretty spoiler-free because, like, yeah. the story yeah. that you actually play in Blood and Wine is not the parts I find enjoyable. It's just yeah. being in that land. Yeah. yeah. It's um, going from all of this dark war-torn that to, like, a fairy tale land. Yeah. And, and you... then vampires. It's it's literally <laughs> made for me, is what I'm mm-hmm. convinced. CD Projekt Red was like, that Emma Shurjarko. What can we do to make her specifically happy? And um, and that's what I think happened to make Blood and Wine. I can't know for sure. Um, but I would say, I mean, The Witcher 3 as a whole, I agree with Esther, is just an incredible piece of, like, literature and storytelling almost that you get to be a part of. And... Uh, and so I highly recommend playing it, even if you haven't read the books. And like Brenna and I did, like, I don't think you need to read the books before playing it. You will get spoiled on some things. Things that the show has already spoiled for you, I'm pretty sure. Mostly. So if you, That's true. Mostly. Yeah. If you've already done the show, yeah. I think mm-hmm. the biggest there thing is, has, has, come, has come up. Yeah. There is the spoiler of, like, what happened to Geralt and Yennefer at the end of mm. the book series. And the game deals with that in a certain way, but it is up for interpretation is what I will is what I will say. So well, you, there's, a, there's a couple characters who canonically die who the game's just like, they don't. Um, yeah, we're going to bring them back. And which yeah. Is, which is fine. Well, and in some yeah. cases, I, I like the vibe I get is that the people who made the game were such fans of the book they're like i know most people aren't going to read the books i really need them to experience this story so either retelling that story with like a different character or sometimes just bringing people back from the dead yeah because a lot of times when those characters die it's like off screen and it's like in a history report later of just like oh by the way these three people (laughs) didn't make it I would yeah, I would say the the cool thing with both the show and and the game is like unlike most things where I would say no, read all the books before you consume 
another interpretation of it. With this, I don't feel that way. I actually really liked, I really Mm -hmm. liked the experience of watching the first season of the show, playing Witcher 3, and then starting to read the books because it gave me context for these books, which can be quite challenging. They're very fun and well-written, but as we've talked about, they can be very challenging. And if I didn't have a book club to read them with, I don't know if I would have made it all the way through. Yeah, if I had to pick, if you were only allowed to pick one to interact with, for most people, I would just recommend Witcher 3. Like, unless you were a huge fantasy fan, then I think, like the books do something that I haven't experienced in any other fantasy book series. Um, You know, and I worked at a bookstore and was like, uh, one of my, the sections they stuck me to was the fantasy section. So like read a number of the big fantasy books and it's really unique, but like the Witcher three is just a masterpiece. It really is. And so there's two expansions to to the Witcher Three. One is Heart 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 of Stone or Hearts of Stone. Hearts of Stone. Hearts of Stone, and um, which is also very good. I I enjoyed it. I know some people don't. I loved it. Crossroads yeah. Demon. Are you kidding me? Yeah, love it. Yeah, um, big Gontaro Odin fan. Yeah. I know. And and Gontaro Dim, he's not in the books at all, right? He's no, he's a completely yeah. a construction of the show. Yeah, I mean the the, uh, game. uh, the yeah. games. Yes, I I <laughs> I I know. I feel like I've said show and games. I've interchanged them a lot, but you all know what I mean. Um, but then Blood and Wine is basically an entire video game in and of itself. Um, and it is just uh so fun. You get to be basically running around wine country, and there are vampires too. Um, and Knights of Ren. <laughs> like, yes. Just, uh, yes. Upon my word. Yes. <laughs> so I love it. Good. It's really Chivalry. good. Chivalry. Yeah. It's, and, yeah. It's lighter and it's a nice contrast. And you, and like the vampire stuff can get a little dark later, but I spent like the first many hours of being like, I'm just going to visit all these wineries. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's such a nice come down. Like it just felt like by the end of Blood and Wine, I'm like, I'm done with these characters in the best way possible. Like I'll yeah. follow Siri more, but I'm satisfied we're like with where everything left off. Like I, I do think of Witcher 3 as the canonical ending of the books. Like, you might finish the books and want a bit more because they do kind of leave some yeah. things hanging. Which I um, think um, part of why, I think that's part of why Sapkowski wrote Season of Storms 14 years later. Um, so let's mm-hmm. talk, let's actually, let's talk about Season of Storms because I think that's a nice, a nice. Uh, so good. Uh, little, little button. Um, Ugh, it's. It's such a it's such an enjoyable book. If 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 I were drinking a, a wine while reading Season of Storms, it would be Vermentino. It would be like <laughs> a, a fun chugging wine. It's a greatest hits album. Absolutely. Like and it is, you know, other than what's it called? Uh Baptism of Fire, it is probably the most like coherent, cohesive story. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a because it's the only standalone novel. Like all the other novels are part of this five book saga, whereas this is just like, yeah, you could just pick it up and read it. It's oh, it's so funny. You definitely could. Um, I do think it's really satisfying to read it after having finished the the Mm -hmm. the five book series saga because it's just a nice way to like go back and revisit Geralt as a character because so much of the the novels are about Ciri. Season of Storms is very much Geralt's book 
and um and it's just so fun you get lots of him and dandelion uh he's got a werewolf friend at one point he loses his it's Geralt is some of his most like uh, relatable because the inciting incident is he really wants to eat at this restaurant he's had a hard (laughs) week and he just has this meal he really wants to have and he just went to the wrong town at the wrong time when like you know the the local sorceress needed like a a scapegoat and Geralt was gonna be the scapegoat and created like a legal nightmare uh yeah the bureaucratic mess yeah. It's so funny. It's so funny. That's what, yeah. It would be like in, in our world getting arrested in Napa on your way to the French laundry. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then just everything goes wrong from there. Um, mm-hmm. it's 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 really fun. It's really fun. Um so I th- I do think that that's a nice a nice one to end on uh for for the books. Um, but I, I agree, Blood and Wine, once you get to, no spoilers for Anthony, but once you get to the end of Blood and Wine, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I do <laughs> believe that CD Projekt Red has said, like, this is the end of Geralt's story. Um, they might they might bring him in, but but they are making another Witcher game, but it's not, you're not going to be playing as Geralt, um, I believe. Yeah, for people looking to play the games too, The Witcher 3 is the one that largely engages with the books and therefore also the show. Like you don't need to, I haven't played Witcher 1 or 2. I played Witcher um, 2. Um, I played Witcher 2. Witcher 2 is fun. Um, it it It's very much a, if you play it after having played Witcher 3, you'll feel it's very much like a prototype for Witcher 3, and it's not nearly as expansive, but I, there's parts of it that I really liked, and and there are, um, you know, characters, definitely characters from the books in it. Like, it starts off with Full Test, um, and you get Philippa Eilhart, um, so... I would say I would say it's fun. I but I don't think you need to play it before playing Witcher 3. I think you'll have to do the thing where you you decide what you did in Witcher 2 at the start which, of which, which I did randomly cuz I didn't yeah. realize that was happening. I just thought they were like immer- I was in a bathtub and they're asking me questions. Right. <laughs> yeah. okay, sure, this sounds good. There's also I what I did is there are guides online yeah. for like here are the answers that will probably give you like the most average like uh, gameplay that other players had from the, if from their Witcher two save if you had played yeah next yeah. time I play I'm definitely gonna, now that I know that's a thing which I learned <laughs> from this book club that like oh yeah. wait no this is like how you essentially like save your progress from Witcher two which yeah. is a neat way of going about it definitely um, but I have heard Witcher one is not really worth playing um, mm, and I same. I I don't really intend to play it. Um, but I but I, I thought Witcher 2 was fun and I would even play it again because the thing about Witcher 2 is like you make one big decision after the f- first act of it and that makes your gameplay experience very different depending on what you choose. So, um so I might go back and make this make the other choice and see what happens. All right. What else do we need to touch on before we sign off for today's session. Did you do a pairing for Yaskier? Oh, I didn't really. I I, I said I, I thought good I job. yeah. Oh, good job. Uh, yeah, I um I said I think he would like to drink Vermentino, but in terms of a pairing for him, um, I thought of Riesling. 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I think I think Riesling is a really good Yaskir slash dandelion wine. Right. Hello, Emma from the future here. Just jumping in because I absolutely failed this pairing. After over four years of being a sommelier for entertainment, I am really disappointed in myself. There is a wine called Dandelion, which is perfect for Dandelion slash Yaskier. It's an Albariño, which is a Spanish white from the Rias Baixas region, and it is from Bodegas Nanclares. It is so good. Beautiful acidity, salinity, bright citrus fruit to it, almost like a little hint of residual sugar, but just like not sweet. Ah, it's just perfect for Dandelion. Okay, now that I have redeemed myself, Back to the show. And he, he's a character that translates perfectly in all media. He's the same yes. character mm-hmm. in all media. Yes. Geralt, you make little adjustments too, but like he's just there. Though I do have to say I much prefer him in the show than I do to him in the games. He I gr- agree. He grew on me in the games, but the way they like I don't like I don't dislike the voice actor who plays him, but they make him like extra over the top foppish in mm-hmm. In the games, and eventually, like once you start doing more with him, he, he kind of like gets out of that stereotype a little bit. Um, but I like, I, I really like Joey Beatty as as Yaskier in the show. He has like a very like kind of authentic way of being uh, a great foil for Geralt. He's wonderful. Yeah, he's yeah, so he good. Does a great job. Uh, I I have downloaded all the songs. Uh, I've got a playlist. Uh, I've got I've got the Yaskier playlist. Um, I think there aren't <laughs> enough people talking about. They just did a Taylor Swift song yeah. in season two. Yeah, like, and they you can tell in the writers' room they're like, no, we're gonna do a Taylor Swift breakup yeah. song. I I saw you tweet that Esther, and I was like, oh my god, that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, burn butcher burn. Burn like, butcher burn. Taylor's also version. if you listen to Joey Beatty's band like he's got like a such a fun dandelion-esque like a like satire songs or like and then some that are like very emotional but they're actually very fun and they pair into the world uh very well so if you you need more dandelion joey Beatty's band of course the name is escaping yeah i forget what it is um here i'll look it up real quick the amazing devil yes yes that's the one that's the one okay so well there's also a really funny video of him after once once COVID started, I guess they did like a a cast and crew of The Witcher. Like they all like did a video of them like trying to bake something, and it his is I have to say one of the like funniest most chaotic things I've ever seen. <laughs> He's very pure. He is very yeah, pure. Yeah. He's very yeah. Um, but yes, and okay, so we got we got dandelion in. Whew, that would have been. That would have been bad. And Did you, you know, have a wine pairing for Roach. Oh, Roach! <laughs> Which Roach? Let's all see. of them. All of them. All of them. I'm trying to think. Like, what's like a resurrecting? This is. Wine? I don't even know if this counts as a spoiler because it's a quest you can miss. There's a point where you you end up on psychedelics in Witcher Three, and you go on a detective game like. A mystery thing with Roach and Roach is like the driving force and you get to hear kind of how Geralt because Geralt's just talking to Roach all the time I'm trying to remember what Geralt is hearing back it's spectacular it's so funny <laughs> I don't know if I did that yeah, uh, I definitely an- didn't do that another, oh. another reason yeah, okay, to yeah look for that next time it's so like it's, okay. I think you eat mushrooms like it's yeah, like it, it, it sounds sort of familiar but 
I don't. That, I feel like I would remember that. Geralt really inebriated in the games. It's oh yeah, it's super fun. Like you have that yeah. time in Garamorin where you can yeah. get him really drunk, and it just like eventually cuts to him wearing um, Vesemir's old like pickup artist fuzzy yeah. hat <laughs> and he's just like dead in the eyes just like muttering <laughs> they're all oh, it's so good it's really good it's really good um yeah. wine pairing for roach uh i think rosé i think i think yeah. roach roach needs a nice a nice roach deserves a nice for, for context, Roach is his horse, but he names all of his horses Roach. Yeah, yeah. I know uh, that was one thing. I, I like. I saw a bunch of people were really upset that spoilers they kill a Roach in the second season of the show, and some people were like, "I can't believe you did that." I was like, "Literally, that happens like several times in the books and in the game. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's part of Geralt's thing." Is Every every horse he has, he names them Roach. Anyway, um, but the rose also works because like he'll get a Roach sometimes who's like a donkey, and he'll be like, "Yeah, oh, fuck this donkey." Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then like later he's like, "Oh, this donkey's like okay." Like I really yeah. love this donkey, and yeah, I feel like that's fine. a lot of people's relationship to Rose. Yeah, yeah. absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, you're you're totally right. My instincts were good, even if I didn't know why. <laughs> um, there's also I'm I'm not gonna do wine pairings for. All of these people, but there's Triss. Um, obviously, mm. she's she's less a part of the books than she is the game. The game would have you think, um, but she's definitely there. Um, and I think she would like Chardonnay. I think Triss is a Chardonnay mm, yeah. drinker. Yeah. Do you have Yarpin? Ooh, Yarpin! Oh man, what would Yarpin? Yarpin drinks vodka straight out of the bottle. Just, just, yeah, yeah. And yeah. calls it wine. And yeah, calls it wine, yeah. 100%. He's like, this is potato wine. Yarpin with Siri is just, oh, uh, any so of the doors with Siri is yeah. always great. She gets, yeah. Oh, and there is um, Visigoda in. in mm. Who's uh, my favorite character? He's one of He's one of the. Like little hidden gems, or not hidden gems, but I I would say he's one of the gems. He's the he's the bright spot of the darkest book, I would say. Um, yes. I don't know, it was a good one for him. I feel like for some reason I feel like. Yeah, who's an ex-professor who had political disagreements, refused to give up on them, and just fled to become a hermit? Yeah. Like a port. Yeah. Ooh, a port. <laughs> yeah, port would actually. Oh I yeah. Bet, I bet he he chugs port at night. He's like. Well, this is my life. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Oh, and then um, Dijkstra. Oh, Dijkstra. Dijkstra's fa- favorite wine is the wine you were drinking before he stabbed you in the back and he just like took <laughs> yeah. out of your hand as you fell. Yeah. yeah. I feel like he's got very expensive taste. Definitely. Oh, absolutely. Definitely. I love what they're doing with Dijkstra in this show. Me he's too. so unhinged. I, I love <laughs> Yeah. And and Graham McTavish as Dijkstra is like one of my favorite Just casting choices. Shirtless, fired up Dijkstra yelling at the <laughs> owl, aka Philippa. What a reveal! People yeah. kept asking me when I was watching, like, "What's the deal with this owl?" I'm like, "The owl's a lady." Yeah. Like, what do you mean? I'm like, "You'll see." The owl's You'll, a lady. Yeah. I kind of I, honestly, I, I forgot. <laughs> like the first couple times I was like, who the fuck is this owl? <laughs> and then like in the last episode, I was like, oh, right, oh, right. right. It's, it's Philippa Eilhart, right? Um, I will say one of the reasons for playing uh, Witcher 2 is you get a lot of Philippa Eilhart. If you make one, if it's one of the, you know, you have to make one of the choices to get a lot of her, but it's pretty fun. And she like uh, protects you in, in, in battle as an owl and like shoots lightning out at people. It's very fun. 
very fun. Yeah. Um, yeah. Philip is great. There's just like there's so many good characters and and they're really interesting, weird, complex. That's the word I keep coming back to. And I don't mean it as a bad thing, but I th- these books are weird in the best way possible. Not always in the best way possible. They make a lot of conscious choices against genre tropes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. And I think I think coming from like an Eastern European that that's influenced people side a lot. But that in particular, there's ways that, uh, you know, in, in American and a lot of kind of the, the college traditions of of English speaking countries that are very kind of uniform and that we have formulas for. And this one just doesn't adhere to any of them. Exactly. Like, he's like, I don't. How do I feel like telling my story today? Uh, yeah. Through flashbacks, sure. Let's do it. Through other characters that you've never heard of, sure. Let's do it. Legal documents. Legal uh... documents. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 And definitely. I love books that feel kind of like thrown together like that. So yeah. that's always fun yeah. for me. I'm like, oh, we're doing a court case he, now. He, he yeah. Clearly yeah. Wants it. <laughs> He wants it to feel, you know, and that's where like a lot of uh, people, you know, I can think of like Brandon Sanderson do their world building very specifically. They set you down. They're like, we're going to explain the world and then we're going to go play in it. Whereas with this one, you go to the wikis and they're thorough, but at no point in any book do they explain any of like one of those wiki entries. You get that through little bits and pieces of different conversations. And that's like, if I were to have like a closing tip for this episode, if you're interested in getting into the books, especially when you get to the saga, don't view it so much as a fantasy novel as a philosophy book that is mm. interested in things like economics and politics that is being because a lot of it has some of the most spectacular like fights and choreography I've ever experienced um, as amazing character he, work. He does but a lot fights of the, really well. But something mm. we kind of figured out partway through is that a lot of it is just people having arguments and different things. Sometimes it's two drunk and uneducated people who have an argument and it teaches you something. Sometimes it's Dykstra and a king. Um, Mm -hmm. But a lot of it is just philosophy. Like by the end, you're just like, wow, I've heard so many opinions from this guy. Like I've heard so many explorations. And I think that is what something that allows them to be more complex because you just have such a thorough understanding of different point of views in this world. Yeah. And then you see them play out. And that's where the battle of Bren at the end, I have a new appreciation for it because it is a realization of all of those discussions that come before it. Yeah, I think that's a great I think that's a great note to end on. But before we finish totally, before we say goodbye, I do want to give you all a chance to plug the things you're doing um, if you want to. So uh, let's start with you, Anthony. Okay, sure. So uh, I have my podcast that I just started releasing episodes of with my co-host, Sydney. It's called I'm a Sophisticate and So Can You. It is a dissection of traditional ideas of the canon by two queer millennials with ADHD. Uh, We read a lot of books. We watch a lot of movies. We listen to a lot of musicians. Uh, We just released an episode recently all on Taylor Swift. Speaking of Taylor Swift, uh, it's a lot of fun. We release every other Tuesday. Amazing. I've I've listened to a few of the episodes. They're so much fun. And if you're going to miss pairing like I, I will, um, then I think I am a sophisticate and so can you will fill a certain hole in your heart um, <laughs> while we're on hiatus. 
So go subscribe now. Yes, please do. Esther, what do you have going on that you want to share? Uh, just like so much, just like one s- thing, or yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, no, no. no. I, I'm... Right, right now, primarily working on Dungeons and Daddies, not a BDSM yeah. podcast, which we just started campaign <laughs> two, where I'm the lead editor on that. It's a, it's a. The pitch for the show is uh, four dads uh, go to drop their kids off to soccer p- practice and get sucked into the Forgotten Realms. So Amazing. season, yeah, see, season one is them trying to find their kids in the Forgotten Realms it, using a minivan, and they're all like it. different dad archetypes. Season two is fun; it's much more like Buffy, mm. um, and it's their grandkids. Nice. So it takes place in the future through the events. Uh, and then my own show, Station Blue, working yeah! on season two. The pandemic keeps putting off. I feel like last time I was on the show, I'm like, season two is going to come out. And it's, the pandemic has just prevented recording. But in this room we're totally. in, I built it to record it. Yay! Uh, and then there's a new show coming up. If you go to my Twitter, it's es- Esther the Esper, a show called The Goblet Wire, which is like a weird fiction micro yeah! uh, uh, micro series with a bunch of talented actors and writers and stuff working on it that'll be coming out amazing yes go check out everything that esther does because it's amazing um and last but not least brenna do you have anything that you want to that you want to share with the world well i don't I, you know I you don't I'm have a, to i'm a podcast baby so i don't have anything uh there to plug but i am a uh, a writer and yeah. a buddings games writer which is why Ooh. i was also very into the witcher 3 yes. and so my plug is going to be for lifelong learning because yeah. i was very stuck in my writing ways and then i've always loved games and decided one day that I wanted to learn more about what goes into writing and narrative design for them. And it's never too late. And I hope one day to return to one of these many podcasts and be able to say, go play my game, which is coming uh, to a future near you. And I hope (laughs) that I get to voice a character in one of the games that you write. Guaranteed. Yes! Guaranteed. (laughs) Yes, I love it. No, I love that. Lifelong learning. Absolutely. I love it. Thank you all so much. I, you know, I could, we'll, we'll, we'll meet back again soon to keep talking. <laughs> but uh, for the sake of this podcast, I think we're gonna, we're gonna end it here for today. Thank you all so much. Uh, it really has been a highlight of my pandemic every, you know, about once a month meeting with y'all and getting to talk about these books. So those of you listening, get yourself a Witcher book club or any kind of book club or, you know, like, wine club or something i don't know just have fun (laughs) (laughs) thank you all thanks bye pairing was created hosted and produced by emma sherjarko with music and audio recording by winston shaw and logo artwork by darcy zimmerman and katie huey this episode was edited by emma sherjarko Follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, Facebook, and Instagram at Pairing Podcast to keep tabs on what we're up to. And feel free to send us any thoughts, questions, requests, and pairings of your own on our website, thepairingpodcast.com, via email at pairingpodcast at gmail.com, or on any social media platform. Come check us out on Patreon at patreon.com slash pairingpodcast where you can pledge as little as $1 a month and get access to exclusive content, customized pairings from me, live streams, and more. Also, check out our merch store on our website at thepairingpodcast.com merch. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and sharing with your friends. Thank you so much for listening to Pairing, where you come for the stories and stay for the wine.